0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. We are uh, standing by for Columbus Blue Jackets General Manager Jarmo Kekalainen. As uh, as soon as we make contact, we will bring him aboard to talk about a number of different things with Columbus. And, you know, Columbus is... uh, Put it this way. Columbus has no plans to go through what they went through last season. Now, some of it was poor performance. Certainly others... Uh, we'll point out quickly that injuries were a major factor in what happened uh, with CBJ. And already we've seen a couple of moves made by Yarmo Kekalainen to help shore things up. Uh, most notably, defenseman Ivan Provorov comes in uh, in a very high-profile three-way trade uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers and Los Angeles Kings. And Damon Severson and the sign-and-trade uh, comes in from the New Jersey Devils. Uh, so still um, very much uh, looking to uh, round out a roster in a division that outside of a couple of teams here really kind of looks up for grabs. Like when you look around the NHL landscape and this is what maybe might, you know, this kind of makes Vancouver an interesting team. If they're going to take a swing at it next season, um, the Pacific is really good uh, because I don't think that, you know, Seattle's going to go away. Edmonton's going to be a contender. Los Angeles Kings story is well told and, oh, yeah, the Stanley Cup resides in the Pacific with the Vegas Golden Knights, and maybe the wild card in all of this is going to be the Calgary Flames. So the Metropolitan outside of a couple of teams kind of looks like jump ball right here. So this all sort of lines up nice for the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll see what happens by the end of the summer and in the training camp next season for Columbus. Uh, Their general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen, joins me now. Yarmo, thanks a lot for this. How are you today? I'm doing
0: well. How about yourself?
1: uh i'm doing great um first of all congratulations on the two moves uh ivan Provorov and also damon severson how long were both of these two defensemen sort of on your radar yarmo how long were they i don't know maybe for lack of a better term on the yarmo kekalainen wish list
0: uh quite a long time actually you know we in the beginning of the year we obviously do a list of the uh depending your face and we watched damon severson all year and that was somebody that our pro scouts identified right from the start as, as as a main target, and and Ivan Provorov, we watched we very closely. The year he got drafted because of uh, of a big need for a defenseman, yeah. and we yeah. felt there were some great defensemen at that draft available, and and we ended with uh, Zach Wierenski, but uh, followed Provorov's career very closely because he was drafted uh, next to uh zach and and um you know when an opportunity um rose to to get him um we jumped on it and same thing with uh with severson we, we wanted to be aggressive in, in addressing the uh, the needs in our blue line and got two uh two solid top four defensemen in, in our mind that that can help us a lot we changed the uh the look on our defense
1: You know, Provorov is such a fascinating player. Um, I can recall watching him plenty playing with the Brandon Weekings, and he would make these, you know, long bomb, tape-to-tape passes coming out of junior. He was was looking like the next great, you know, young defenseman in the NHL, and he was that with the Flyers uh, for the first little while uh, playing with Matt Niskanen, and it seemed as if... You know, when Matt Niskanen retired after the the bubble experience with the Philadelphia Flyers, um, Ivan Provorov's game took a dip. What do you think this player still needs to get back to that spot where we're talking about him amongst you know some of the better defensemen in the NHL? Well,
0: I think he's still young, so his prime years are still still ahead of him. So, uh, for for all of our due diligence that we've learned about him before he's he's uh, arrived here, is that he's extremely hardworking. Player that wants to get better and, and takes takes strength and conditioning very seriously. Wants to keep developing and and That's work cool. on his game. So, um, you know, sometimes people put a lot of expectations on the offensive side for defensemen that have skill and have done it in the in the past. Uh, what we're expecting is a real solid two-way defenseman that can defend and be hard to play against and move the puck mm-hmm. effectively uh, out of our zone and in transition. And I think those are the most important qualities that we're looking in a defenseman. I think the, uh, the offensive numbers uh, are often, at least in my opinion, too much of a criteria when evaluating a defenseman, even for the Norris Trophy. Um, you, know, you never see a, a real good defensive defenseman win the Norris Trophy because he doesn't have the offensive numbers. Well, uh, I think uh, mm. the trophy should be a little bit more about defending as well.
1: Um, with Yarmo Kekalainen and General Manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. When you make moves like this, Yarmo, uh, I-, I know that these aren't made in, in a vacuum. Um, but I, I'm curious the, the, the people that you talk to. I mean, clearly you talk to your, your pro scouts, but uh, would you talk to players uh, on your team? Hey, what's Severson like to play against? Hey, what's Provorov like to play against? I mean, both these defensemen were, you know, both in the Metropolitan Division, your players know playing against them quite well. Uh, would, the, would you have those conversations with your players or is this strictly between yourself and the, and the pro scouts?
0: Well, we like to build a network of, of uh, people that we talk to, uh, and, and I'm a big believer that uh, the best scouting is done when you're playing against somebody or when you're playing with somebody, and you spend all that time in the locker room with them. And we still have have some great contacts with the people that uh, I know that that played the game not very uh, long ago. If it's not me knowing those guys, we got Rick Nash here who's got a great network of contacts like that. And we talk to a lot of those yeah. people about not not only about how how is it to play against him or with him, but how he is as a teammate, um, you know, how how he is uh, to work with, what kind of human being is he? Uh, is he a good person? Um, does he have the work ethic mm-hmm. and, and all those things? So we take that part very seriously, and and I think that uh, it can give us great information from from players that um, just recently played with him or or against him.
1: Now, um, w- watching your moves early uh, in this off season with the blue line specifically, it's pretty obvious that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets have about zero desire to go through what they went through last season. Now, I still think it's fair to say a lot of what happened last season was about injuries. Was there underperformance, of course, but I think a lot of it was due uh, was due to the hospital bracelets. Um, when you look back on last season from the general manager's chair, what went wrong? Uh-huh.
0: Oh, well, we've talked about the injuries enough, but I, I don't think I've ever seen 560 man games lost in, in one year in, in my career. But, but um, you know, when, when things start snowballing uh, the wrong way and, and um, lose the hope of, of making the postseason and where we're mm-hmm. at in our building process, there's no real reason to try to patch those holes uh, of injuries with players that can make, get us from third last place or second last place in the league to be in the seventh, eighth or 10th last place and then draft 10th or 12th instead of a uh, uh, second, uh, second or third overall or first overall, which, we, which was what we were uh, looking at at the end and where we end up and after the lottery. So but it's, it's hard to do. It's, it's, that's the hardest part of it is that you, you want to go to every game and you want to win and you want to, help your team win every night and then at the end of the day you uh you the worst place to draft is when you're just out of the playoffs and you draft in 16th and uh if you want to real really get the difference maker at the draft you, you want to draft first overall but I think we're going to get a great player uh for our pain at number 3 and 3 and um, you know keep building but uh you know we've been in this process now long enough we've missed the playoffs three years in a row and and we want to get back in it. We were there four years in a row and it got a taste of it. We're never good enough to uh, go far enough, but uh, we want to get there so that we can have that chance to uh, to uh, one day go all the way. And that's that's uh, why we have to go through some of this pain right now and and, uh, and uh, get some good players on, on our roster. We have some. We have some great young talent already, but we'll get a real good one this year at number three and keep building.
1: Yeah, let let me ask you about this because I'll be honest with you, Yarmour. You're, uh, from a media point of view, you're one of our favorite people uh, to follow because as much as we try to guess what you're going to do, um, our guesses don't always work out. Whether it's uh, the Pierre Luc Dubois trade, whether it's the uh, Igor Chinnikov trade, which I was still, I, I still to this day, <laughs> I, I I I sit back and, and, and laugh at what we all went through trying to to, to scramble to say something on television uh, about Chinnikov. Um, how do you look at that number three pick? And for, first of all, for the, for those that 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 might wonder, uh, it would take an awful lot for you to move that pick or is that is that just a, a non-negotiable is that a, a non-conversation that pick is going nowhere well
0: i don't think any should anything should be non-negotiable really i think you should always listen to what somebody might be willing to to pay but um we've gotten some proposals on that pick none of them have been even close to what it would take mm-hmm. or i'm not even saying that that we would move it but But I guess you never say never. If somebody comes up with something where we think, okay, well, you you know, at least have to give this some thought. This would make our team a lot better now and into the future. Then you'd have to listen to it. I think that would be foolish if I didn't. But uh, we think we're going to get a difference maker at number three and we're going to get a player that's going to be in our system for a long time. I don't think that that pick's going to get moved, but I guess, you never know, but uh, so the one thing I'd say, you know, you were talking about my, my moves or my, my drafts or whatever. But I'm I did that for 15 years, and, and I'm a big believer in, the, in letting the scouts do their work. And you know, they they don't ever get enough credit for how uh, the hours they put and the miles they put on their car and, and on airplanes to to uh, put the list together. And, and I I can't think of anything more foolish than me trying to get in their way to when, when they watch the players, they evaluate the players and and they know the players. And I think that's when you have to trust your staff to, uh, to put the guys in order. And if if, uh, a player that uh, is not on the experts list is, is is getting picked by us, then, then so be it. We shocked the whole world in 2016 with our third overall pick, but you know, it doesn't look quite as shocking these days anymore. And, and that's um that's why we gotta trust our own staff and not the public opinion.
1: Uh I couldn't listen, I I well I was just having this conversation a second ago with Elliot about having the courage of your own convictions. And not listening to the noise around, and not listening to the, the, the nature of criticism. You stand on your own two feet, and you you make the choices that the, that you and your team decide you should be making, regardless of how uh, of how they're received. Um, when when you talk to your when you talk to your amateur scouts, and all this is culminating next week in Nashville. Um we always talk about tiers and some teams have different tiers than others, but when you look at this draft, like certainly Connor Bedard is, is in a place all of his own. But you know, for those next couple of picks, whether it's, you know, Adam Fantilli, whether it's Leo Carlson, these types, you know, how close is the next level in your estimation to Connor Bedard?
0: Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying that number three we're gonna get an exceptional player at I- and who's to say that five, ten years from now uh, the order is the same as everybody thinks right now? It is with the uh, number one being so clear. Connor Bernard's great. There's no question about it, and he's going to have a great career. But uh, there's some mm-hmm. some really good players that are going to get drafted after him and that are uh, hungry to prove that they can they can be the best player in the draft. And and um, I'm I wish I had that crystal ball, but. You can look at look back on many different drafts where where the order is completely different ten years from from the time that they were put in order uh, with, with the teams that drafted them. So this is a this is the uh, the most difficult and and most interesting part of the hockey business is that we have to evaluate 17, 18 year olds that are not uh, physically uh, mature or mentally mature yet, and, and uh, especially the second part being being mentally mature is such a huge part of uh, having success in the, in the best league in the world and, and, um, for their development, for their success, for the big moments that are going to be in front of them, whether they they become the difference makers that everybody thinks they will be is, is, uh, is the hardest part to, uh, to evaluate. I wish we had some kind of a, uh, a machine to look into their, in between the years and in, into the, uh, part and <laughs> and desire and all those parts because that that makes such a big difference it's not just uh, being physically gift, gifted and talented and and strong and all those mm-hmm. things it's it's about the desire to get better each and every day and to have that drive to always um, evolve and and learn something new and and just the hunger to keep getting better and that's that's why some of those guys that have played in such a high level for such a long time are are so exceptional because they just they they demand so much of themselves that they keep getting better, even if they age, they find different ways to get better every year. And I've said that about Sidney Crosby many times. I admire it so much that he just keeps finding ways of getting better in different areas and that's why he's been such a great player for such a long time.
1: Um, last question. Last year at the draft, you uh, selected David Juracek, the defenseman, um, sixth overall, and I think many of us expect to see him on the Columbus Blue Jackets blue line next season. Had an, an, an exceptional year this year, and I, I think you know, high, high expectations for David Juracek. Um, in your mind, with who you draft at number three, do you expect that player to be on your roster next season?
0: Well, first of all, we have to see what goes. Um, we, we have a pretty good idea who's going to go number one, but then we have to see who goes number two. And, and I think that um, once yeah. that pick's made, then we'll know ours, and and we'll probably already have a plan in place on on for the next season, the season after, and and go from there. But um, you know, we're we're not in a rush to put a player on our roster for next year. If that's not the best place for him to develop, then, then he'll play somewhere else. And just like Juricek, he's going to be a real good defenseman for us. And whether he's going to be ready and make an impact on our team next year, if he does, great. If he doesn't, we'll have all kinds of patience with him because we believe he's going to be a real good one and for a long time. So whatever is the best place for him to develop and, and, and um, succeed will be the place he'll play next year. And and it could be with us. And, and if he needs more time... Uh, That's why we acquired a couple of uh, experienced defensemen so we don't have to rush a guy like David Yirich.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Yermo, best of luck next week in uh, Nashville uh, at the NHL draft, and, and best of luck in free agency as well. Thanks so much for doing this today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yarmo Kekalainen is the uh, general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, they've already made a couple of moves, as we all know. Ivan Provorov comes in on the one side, uh, David Severson on the other, and they hold the third overall draft pick. And if you can read in between the lines on that one, you don't have to be the biggest draft Nick to know. It's either going to be Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson uh, who ends up with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. But again... Kekalainen has surprised us before, so we'll see. Uh, Peter Baugh from the Athletic joins us in hour two. But joining me next, Thomas Strance from the Athletic. It is Canucks talk on the Merrick Show in moments.
0: Unrivaled insight,
2: analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the SportsNet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, talking about the Avalanche. Uh, intriguing team in the offseason once again. Uh, Peter Baugh from The Athletic stops by for uh, the very latest on what is happening with the abs. In the meantime, uh, never a dull moment in Vancouver. Uh, never a, uh, no, no lack of a surprising moment in uh, Vancouver as we saw last week with the buyout of Oliver Ekman Larson. Thomas Trance, uh from The Athletic and Canucks Talk joins me now. I can I can hear the chuckles in the background because I just watch it from afar you're right in the middle of it. You know what I'm talking about more than I even do. Uh, I think this caught everybody <laughs> by surprise. I mean, we all believe that they weren't going to do this. They weren't using buyouts. And the first time they got the chance to turn the uh, pencil upside down from the lead to the eraser, they did. Uh, first of all, before we get into the uh, the splitting of hairs on this one, Drancer, uh, your thoughts on the surprise factor here and how big a one there was for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's something funny about... A general manager who specifically said after the season ended, right, like I don't intend to use buyouts um, to then on the very first day the window opens, execute the largest ordinary course buyout we've ever seen hit a team's cap (laughs) sheet in NHL history. I mean, that's uh, there's something amusing about that for sure. And, And look, I think that did put a lot of people off the scent. There have been buyout situations where this organization has declined to do it. I even think about Keith Ballard when they exercised a compliance buyout on Keith Ballard, like the day before uh, Mm -hmm. the window closed, they put him on waivers, right? And it was just like, guys, like normal waivers. I'm not talking about the 150 buyout waivers, like normal waivers. He went through, it's like, Mm -hmm. guys, no one's claiming him. (laughs) Um, But there was like such a desperation to avoid, (laughs) you know, using that device. And now the biggest you know, total value buyout to ever hit a team's cap sheet. Uh, the Canucks have exercised it. So yeah, absolute surprise. But when you look at the short-term benefit of doing it, the dynamics of one last flat cap off season, I mean, you know, as much as I think Alvin's commentary put people off the scent, like if you've been listening to Canucks talk, I kept coming back to, you know, <laughs> it's it's almost a short-term get out of jail free card, right? Like, it, you know, I can't, I can't rule out the possibility Given how crunchy I expect the trade market to be, uh, that was sort of the tenor of our analysis over the last two months. And, you know, I think what was really interesting to me about it was how proactively they made the decision to just go ahead, rip the Band-Aid off and do it right at the start of the window, the very first opportunity.
1: The, the thing that I, I, I keep coming back to, because I, I, I'm with you. I, I didn't expect this, and this is all based on the commentary postseason. Uh, I just don't know what the harm in saying, and listen, Jim Rutherford said this over a year ago, I believe. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. Why not just say, look, we have a lot of things we can we can use here in the CBA, and we'll investigate all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what, yeah. and, and instead of, and, and, you know, like, why not go that route? Why try to narrow yourself in? Then if you change your mind or just, like, wanted to deceive everybody, you end up in this situation here.
3: Yeah, sometimes you have to spend to make your problems go away. And, you know, I think if you're looking at any device within the CBA and being like, we have an ideological issue with that one. Um, you 're tying one you 're tying one hand behind your back, you know this is an efficiency contest league. You have to be able to fire all weapons if you 're going to keep up and especially if you 're going to try and burn the candle at both ends, right which is get better, get yeah. cheaper right, and do it without tanking um, you know i, I don 't think you can close any doors you have to be willing to explore everything and and ultimately I think that 's where most analysis of this buyout sort of is settled in it 's like obviously it 's Suboptimal, <laughs> but but it was probably a necessary move yeah. that the club had to make.
1: You know, I I guess what does make it a little bit easier as we know how much the salary cap is going to go up after this off season. And that makes that cap hit seem, I don't want to say inconsequential because listen, this is a a nickels and dimes league and you got to, you know, find every quarter over on under every cushion and take every single one of your empties back to, to make it work around the end of the season. (laughs) Uh, I guess what makes this one a little bit more palatable, Drancer is that the salary cap, I'm trying to find a way to to give him a soft landing here. Uh, Yeah. There's a, there's a salary cap bump coming, which will make it look a little bit lighter than it is. If you catch my drift. see for me though jeff that's just optics and and this has been brought
3: up by Canucks management a couple of times jim rutherford brought it up in the context of the jt miller extension and defending the jt miller extension when he gave that yep. fabulous uh, availability after the pearson injury uh and then of course alvin specifically referenced it in the heavily detailed release that the canucks put out uh, announcing this move over the weekend And I really think they should stop saying it. Like, I I think they should stop saying that publicly because I think it betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of of what the cap is, how it works, and what it means for teams in the league. You know, the cap going up might give you more space around the buyout. But the problem is, is it floats all boats, right? It also gives everyone else more space. And every other team that doesn't have, you know, a $5 million dead hit in 2025, 2026, and 2026, 2027... Is now, is now more efficient than you, right? So the advantage to you of the cap rising is more than offset by the advantage to everyone else of the cap rising more for them, relatively speaking. Their relative purchasing power increases. Like cap space isn't, and, and this is like a classic hockey thing, right? Like it's not a game of hard numbers. It doesn't matter if you score six goals if you allow seven, right? Like it's a game of ratios. It's a game of efficiency. Yeah. It's a game of having more than the other guy, more. It's a game of more. And if other teams have more relative cap space to you, and the cap goes up, that neuters the advantage to you of the cap going up around your inefficient moves, your dead money. So I, I really that's think it. that's one of those lines that should be retired.
1: That that is, that really nails it because the the thing that I was thinking about now over, over the weekend with uh, with with this move specifically is all of a sudden. Not that you have to do everything perfectly, but you have to be mm. a lot closer to perfect than you were before the Oliver ekman Larson buyout. I know right. that every team is going to have a bad contract or two. That's baked into the pie. There's no need to be embarrassed about it. It happens. Some you cause your own. Uh, you hope that they're contained <laughs> fires. Others are wildfires that you inherit. I know it's a bad analogy to use in this country, but, and I apologize for it, but all of a sudden the margin of error that you have to work with just got smaller and again yep. for optics i don't know that reminding people of that is necessarily <laughs> the, uh, the 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 best idea well let, let me ask let me ask you this one and it's i'll i'll couch it a very specific way um when we worked with brian burke he used to always talk about before you show the horse you have to shovel out the barn when you look mm. at the vancouver canucks and when where they're at and where they're heading, and like, so we already know about the elite-level pieces they have. Uh, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko. Three premium players at three premium positions. Okay, what do you put around them is the question. Uh, how close do you think they are to finally saying, let's bring the horse out of the barn so we can show it?
3: Uh, yeah, okay, so... I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and I'm going to give you a quick answer to your question, and then I'm going I'm to hijack this interview really quickly. The first question that I want to, or the first <laughs> sort of answer that I want to give you, though, is this could go one of two ways. Like, for me, this move is consistent with both a short-term strategy to just get in and anything can happen, but also with a long-term strategy. Like, if you look at this from the perspective of, you know, we're kind of stuck, we've got a mess, Right? We need to clear a bunch of long-term liabilities here. We need to be really careful about how we manage our medium-term inefficiencies, your, your Garlands, your Bessers, your Myers category guys. And we've got to really like ramp up our ability to make moves. Like We have to basically uh, juke the, the tradable assets and value that we have, the, the hockey holdings that we have that are valuable within the organization because this is a team with you know, limited cap space even after the OEL buyout limited prospect capital, limited draft capital, just not a lot of tradable assets. Like when the Hannafin, Pesci, Dubois, Debrinket class shakes loose this off season, you know, the Canucks aren't exactly hard to outbid for other teams. Um, that's a problem, right? Like that's right. a huge problem. There's a lack of malleability, flexibility, optionality on this roster. And so if this is part of, a, of an effort to clear the books and sort of um, enhance the club's standing from from that perspective using – you know, the, the leverage of cap space in this one final, hopefully, flat cap offseason, then I think that makes sense. If, however, you know, you're clearing up this cap space to turn around and go sign Barbashev and Dumoulin in free agency, right, then it's just like a seventh straight hand in which the Canucks are going all in again with a 10-7 offsuit. You know, it's just like, come on, come on, don't you get sick of this? Don't you get sick of this? Don't you get sick of being uh, effectively eliminated from the hand before we even see the river card? So, um, you know, th- it's, it's a one of two things, sort of, or it's it could go either way. And, and I think that sort of is a really, uh, like, it's the right place for the Canucks to be, uh, or Canucks fans to be anyway, which is this is sort of a wait-and-see mode, right? Like, I think there's some excitement that the team has the ability to do things again, but are we really going to let the Canucks raise another offseason championship banner, given how things have unfolded every year for the past decade? Excitement, disappointment, and then the same old story. Yeah. I think wait-and-see makes sense, and, and I think it makes sense in terms of their moves, too. Now, I, I really want to quickly uh, uh, talk about something, Jeff, because I was listening to your sure. great podcast with Elliot Friedman right before I came on. And, of course, being okay. a guy who covers the Canucks... And worked for the Florida Panthers. I consider the Panthers my alma mater. Um, the comparison <laughs> that you and Elliot were discussing about the, the Canucks perhaps being inspired by the Florida Panthers' playoff success from, from the eighth spot, the second wild card in the Eastern Conference, may motivate them to try and uh, replicate that with, around an elite core with good goaltending. This next season, and I just had this like, do, do you know that scene in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two with like baby Groot, and there's the bomb, and like one button will kill everyone, and one <laughs> button is the good thing, right? And he keeps wanting to press the bad yeah. button, and the Rocket Raccoon's just like, no, yep. it's like, um, it's like we're going to learn lessons from the Florida Panthers. It's like, great, are you going to be scrupulous and avoiding making long-term commitments to guys in their early 30s and late 20s? It's like, no, <laughs> are you going to? make bold moves to extend your championship window like no absolutely not um are you going to bulk buy high upside d on the waiver wire like nope definitely not what about what about bulk shopping for non-tendered rfas and unrestricted free agency like nope nope no question we're just going to try and be eight and it's like no stop this (laughs) there are lessons (laughs) worth drawing from the florida panthers but their success in the playoffs is um not one of them
1: the, the the thing that I was getting at on the pod with that is I can understand the idea of win and see what happens here and goalie gets hot and, listen, I, yeah, I don't think you can do it for four rounds, and that kind of makes the St. Louis lose a freak when they won the cup. Um, mm-hmm. Get in and knock some, knock some billiard balls around. My main point through all of it was if you're Vancouver – um, not to take away from what the Florida Panthers did because like they knocked off the Bruins, the Maple Leafs and the Hurricanes like three of the top yep. four teams like that was, Incredible. that was really impressive. Um b- but I look at the Pacific and first of all the cup is there. And that team is yep. not going to change that profoundly. Like they're going to, you know, they're going to lose Barbashev, and they'll probably lose Aiden Hill. We'll, we'll see what Kelly McCrimmon can do. I don't think that Seattle is necessarily going away. The Los Angeles Kings uh, continue to get better, and they're a playoff team. The Edmonton Oilers' oh, story is well told. And if you want to talk about a motivated Connor McDavid, he just saw Jack Eichel win the Stanley Cup. And the Calgary yep. Flames may be the wild card in all of it. If you're going to fly on the philosophy of let's just squeak in and see what we can do and hope that, you know, it's, it's Thatcher Demco time in the bubble again, you're not in the right division right now, maybe <laughs> no. to do that. You know, uh, like, it also, like, yeah. The Pacific, we, like, for, for, for the longest time, we looked at the Central and said, man, it's a murderer's row. All of a sudden, now we're looking at the Pacific and we're saying, Vegas could repeat. I could also see the Oilers winning the Stanley Cup. Um, Seattle's good. Los Angeles is is, is going to improve here in the offseason as well. Like I don't know if this is the division for Vancouver to do this. Do well, and, and, and Calgary, I mean everything went
3: wrong for them last season. They still finished 10 points clear of the Canucks, right? I mean it's not like small gaps yeah. that you're trying to patch over here with yeah. 10 million in cap space. Um, you know, Seattle you might look at and be like, well, they're not going to shoot like that at five on five again, but for one thing that they might. I mean, they have incredible one-shot finishers on every line, but also they have 20 million in cap space, right? Like that team's way better positioned to improve rapidly uh, than Vancouver. And and there's also that 17 point gap to, to consider. So no, look, I think it's a, it's a heavy lift. It almost reminds me a little bit of like the Mark Bergevin Habs where like you have a team that's built for the playoffs, right? So they can be a tough out when they get there, but they don't always get there. Right. Um, That that's, That's not the team I think you want to build these days where, as we see, there's so much randomness in the playoffs that, you know, you need to give yourself as many kicks at the can as possible. Like you, you bring up the blues as as a freak team. and, And I think you're right, but also, you know, go back five years prior to 2019 top five team in the NHL by point percentage, right? I mean, same with the Panthers, right? Panthers last three years, top, top three team in the NHL by point percentage. I mean, you're more likely to have the miracle run. Like some, a lot of this, anything can happen stuff. I do think is more about how an elite team can underperform for an extended stretch in the regular season than it is about teams out of nowhere going on, going Cinderella on the Stanley cup playoffs.
1: That's an excellent point. So he, he, here's here's one. Let me swing back to Vancouver here. So <clears throat> I asked uh, Elliot this in the first hour. We'll, we'll see what uh, we where I, where I get to with uh, with you on this one, Transfer. So Jamar the Fur takes over the Vancouver Canucks, and the first thing we heard about is cap flexibility. We need some water in the pool so I can swim. Okay, that didn't right. happen the first season. Uh, now here we are in the second season, and they've used the buyout on Oliver Ekman Larson. There's a little bit of. Room to maneuver here. The turtleneck's not quite as tight. It's still a turtleneck here, but at least I can <laughs> feel like I'm not being strangled.
0: Sure. Um,
1: who, bre- who breathes a sigh of relief on the Vancouver Canucks roster? Like, I've wondered, I think mm-hmm. we've all wondered about Bester. I think we've all wondered about Tyler Myers. I think we look at Anthony Bavillier as well and wonder there. But who's breathing maybe a sigh of relief now that they've created some flexibility here using the big defenseman?
3: Yeah, you know, and I wonder if Bovillier might be the right answer simply because, you know, at the end of the day, if you were going to get into June 30th and have very few options, like who was your most tradable chip, right? Beauvillier only has one year left on his deal, has that record of playoff success, yeah. right? Has the speed profile where a contending team might really like him in, in a third-line role even, right? So uh, sort of has that not-just-a-top-six-guy flexibility in his game. So I, I sort of think he might have been your your like we don't want to do it, but that's the break glass in case of emergency guy and and I feel like that's the option yeah. that's probably most off the table um you know in terms of in terms of like garland and Besser, I mean you could still see them being part of a hockey trade type move where the Canucks are able to find like an inefficient defenseman or center who they think better fits what they want to do. Um, you know, it, you could still see that in the Myers situation. I mean, I, I just think that one's too complicated with a late summer signing bonus and his trade protection to be an off-season deal, right? I, I mean, it's just, it. I really struggle to imagine that the Canucks could offload a guy who's due a $5 million lump sum signing bonus prior to that being paid without paying, you know, mm. a, a freight to get off of that contract now. Uh, that just feels like more of a deadline one to me. So, you know, I think the right answer is probably Beauvillier, but I'd expect the Canucks to still be looking to add, um, you know, add some additional cap flexibility if possible or to use one of their inefficient deals while bringing in another salary. I I don't think those options are off the table, particularly when you think about what this team wants to do, right? I I mean, we know they want a third-line center. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing that, you know, I wouldn't underrate, right? Like, Rick Tockett likes big defensemen. Vegas just won with big defensemen. Big defensemen are going to be it's in to be demand run. in a major way this summer. Right. Yeah, there's going to be a run. And, totally true. Totally and true. And, you know, I, I'd be stunned if he looks like there's four Canucks players on one-way deals. Philip Ronick's under six foot. Jack Rathbone's under six foot. Um, Quinn Hughes is obviously under six foot. And then you've got Tyler Myers, the outlier, six foot eight. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I, I would think that a couple of defensemen with some beef – uh, the ability to, to play with some snarl and a third line center. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty long shopping list for only 10 million in gas space. And Hey, let me give you one more about the Florida model. You need your goalie to play okay. 50 games. You know, like what, what, what one thing about yes. Bobrovsky losing his job to Alex Lyon is he only played 50 games in the regular season. So when he got hot, right, he was playing, you know, game 55, game 58, game 62. And like, by the time you get to the finals and it's game 70, well, he looks like a goalie who's played a full season again. And, and I do think, you know, we saw, like, that's sort of, I think, one of the undertold trends that we saw in the playoffs was, you know, Aiden Hill played, what, 30 games in the regular season? He was at his best when the chips were down. Um, the, the workhorse guys Sorokin out in the first round, Hellebuck out-dueled by his own, you know, his own former backup in Broussois. Ilya Simsonov outplays Andre Vasilevsky. Sure, yeah, that makes sense, right? Jake Ottinger is like the only workhorse <laughs> who won around, and And by the time he got to the conference semifinal, he's getting outplayed by a but guy who's that, played 30, 40 games less than uh, the, it.
1: I, I was going to say, but if we pause on Ottinger for one second, that to me is the ultimate cautionary tale because of how many games mm. he played and how he, he, he fell off. Uh, I it, it completely fell off the cliff. And we're saying, like, that's not the Jake Ottinger. Well, certainly remember against the Calgary Flames last year, to say nothing of the Jake Ottinger we saw during the season, which I'll tell yeah. you what, you know what makes it, I know we're going off the Vancouver page here, but you know <laughs> what makes that even more bizarre for me? Do you remember the first team in this era to really, like, really go, like, deliberately 50 50 split with their net minor? And it it's because of travel, the Dallas Stars. Yep. The Dallas right. Stars were the team. anti was anti, anti Niemi and, uh, oh, who was it? Was it Lettinen? Karzikari Lettinen? Right. Like, well, those, those were the two that they had. And it was like 50-50 split. And the rationale was, man, our travel is so awful. We need this so these guys aren't burned out by the playoffs. And here, like, if I'm Jim Nil, the first thing I'm doing is I'm saying, I need a goalie that can play 35 games minimum. Minimum mm-hmm. twenty five games because we need to get Ottinger's Outtinger, number down. And here's the other one. And I know that everyone in Vancouver is in love with the here. And listen, I, I was right there for the ride with Latvia too, and I loved it. And everything was, was was golden. If they can get like that kind of performance or something similar, where he can play that many games um, uh, in relief of Thatcher Demko, then I'm starting to get the soap and warm water feeling. But the temptation is always going to be there when in doubt put in Demko, he can steal games.
3: Well, and and they have very little cap space. You've got Loves, but you've also got Spencer Martin on one way. I mean, to me, even though they brought in a top European free agent this Makita um, Tolapilo who was the best goalie in the Alsvenskan um, this past season, you know, I sort of look at that and think, man, if you can add one of those 1 million, 1.5 million dollar backup guys, um, you know, that, that to me makes a ton of sense in terms of raising this team's floor, right? What's the downside risk for the Canucks this season? Like leaning on a 22-year-old with three NHL games played and Spencer Martin who lost the backup job to Colin Delia this past season to give you 20 to 30 games of relief performance uh, good enough to float your boat to the to no less than fourth spot in the Pacific Division. That to me seems like... You know, if, if you're looking at this season maybe landing in the, in the thin area, of the bell curve on the, on the far left side, that to me is like the big shining indicator light, the, the risk that this team is going to take on. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot to accomplish even after the OEL buyout and the bear injury, and we're not sure if he'll get qualified. There is some breathing room, but, yeah. it's, but it's breathing room more than it is material flexibility given how many needs this club still has to address.
1: I want to swing back to JT Miller. I know it's coming up. I want to swing back to JT Miller for one second, but I want to pause on your alma mater, as you mentioned, um, the Florida Panthers. If they would have done this, if the Florida Panthers would have won, uh, I know you're some years removed from the Florida Panthers and working there, but who would be the people in the Panthers organization that you would have been the happiest for? Oh, man, it's, it's a long list.
3: Uh, obviously, Roberto comes to mind right off the bat. Um, yep. You know, I, I would have been extremely happy for Vinny, um, Vinny Viola, the owner of the team. I, I would have been extremely happy, obviously, for my like former staff, uh, their great PR head, Adlon Biedenbach, who who was my number two when I was there. Yep. I would have been stoked for them. Uh, and, then, and then obviously like Barkov and Ekblad, um, that would have meant a lot to me to see those guys raise the cup. But, you know, I, I think that's sort of the short list. Uh, With with Lou, given that he's never won the cup before, uh, given the excitement on his face throughout the playoff run and and after all those overtime goals, um, you know, he, he would probably top the list given all of that context.
1: Those were always number one cutaways on Hockey Night in Canada. Florida wins, <laughs> no, cutaway so to Luongo. Florida wins, big goal, <laughs> cutaway to Luongo. Cutaway to... Okay, real quick, last last one for you here. I'm, I'm taking too much of your time. What right now, because there is always a J.T. Miller question, what is the story around J.T. Miller in Vancouver today, Monday, June 19th? Yeah, well,
3: so, it. it you know, I, I mean, look, I think the... Fact is, is that that deadline, right, his contract kicks in, his contract extension signed in September, kicks in on uh, July 1. So June 30th at 12 o'clock, J.T. Miller has a full NMC. Uh, We've seen a lot of moves happen ahead of those sorts of deadlines for teams, right, because of how dramatically it shifts the dynamic of that player's value. And yet for for all that uh, J.T. Miller is an extraordinary player, you know, I don't know that he'd have commensurate trade value with his on ice value for the Canucks, given that he's got an $8.5 million signing bonus this summer. And that commitment is big one is a big one. So, you know, if this team's trying to mimic Florida, I mean, what, what's JT Miller's role in that? Is he your, is he your Matthew Kachuk? Like, is he, is he expendable if you're trying to go on a miracle playoff run next year? I, I would argue, no. However, if they're taking a long view here in the wake of the Oliver Ekman larsen buyout, you know, we, we modeled like what would a perfect Canucks offseason look like uh, the day of the Ekman Larson buyout in the morning. And number one on our list was an Ekman Larson buyout. And number two was trade JT Miller. Like if you can get off those two, you know, long, expensive commitments, I think that opens up a ton of optionality for this team to try and peak mm-hmm. in a year or two. When, you know, in my view anyway, their, their sort of competitive window is more credibly open. And yet, if this organization is once again intent on going all in on that, two, uh, that 7-10 offsuit, uh, I can't see them parting with sort of the st- straw that stirs the drink for them on the power play, a guy they view as their second line center, and a guy who has that sort of attitude that you know Rick Tockett was enamored with based on his 25 games in this city.
1: Don't disagree at all. Uh Drancer, you're always the best. Thanks as always, pal. Thanks for the uh the insight and the uh the kind thoughts about uh your former colleagues in Florida. Thanks as uh thanks as always. We will we will chat again soon, my friend. We'll chat again soon. <laughs> thanks for having me, Jeff. Be well. Bye. There he is, the great Thomas Trance from the Athletic and Canucks talk as well. Um, never a dull moment with the Vancouver Canucks organization. More decisions on the horizon. We talked about with Elliot. We talked about with Trancer. Uh, and I'm sure you've speculated about as well. Like it's not, it, It's an interesting situation because there are... Like, to me, Vancouver is one of the most fascinating teams in the league because of the presence of Elias Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko. It's not as if there's one position where you say, yeah, but they don't have a star there. Or, yeah, but they don't have anyone elite there. Or, yeah, they don't really have a difference maker there. Uh, they do. It's just that it's everything around all of it. And, you know, previous to the Oliver Eckman Larson buyout, you know, the uh, the inability to maneuver around these players. But I, I really do think that, and I share Drancer's thoughts on this one, uh, and Elliot as well, that there are more moves on the horizon uh, to give themselves some more flexibility because it does very much feel like this is a team that might just load up and go for it in a really, really difficult Pacific division. Um, Coming up, Peter Baugh is going to be dropping by in a couple of moments. Uh, We're going to stick in the West, and we'll focus on the Colorado Avalanche. Now, Colorado about out against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, This was a team that fought their own injury issues all season long, Uh, most notably Gabriel Landeskog missing the entire season and is going to miss again. And just to be blunt, he's my favorite player in the NHL, and it really sucks that I'm not going to get a chance to watch Gabriel Landeskog again. I'm sure you probably feel the same way, if not similar about Gabriel Landeskog. It's always a better league when he's in the game uh, than when he's on the outside looking in. But there was that injury. There was McCar McCarr uh, as well. Like there were big injuries for this avalanche team. And the one thing that you're hoping is now the Vegas golden Knights have won the Stanley cup. And now the Vegas golden Knights are in that conversation with the Colorado avalanche Like, Don't you want one more meeting in the playoffs between these two teams? And you want them to be at their healthiest. Like, You're not going to get Landis Gog. I get it. Uh, We'll see about Mark Stone. But right now, with these two teams winning the Stanley Cups back-to-back, last year Colorado, this year Vegas, don't you say to yourselves, you know what, just try to stay as healthy as much as possible, because I want to see these two teams match up next season in the playoffs that one could be fantastic i know injuries are a reality of sports and certainly hockey but you just hope that these two teams can stay relatively healthy enough um, that there are no built-in excuses should one team lose to another. Anyway, that's in my hockey fantasy world for next season, Vegas and Colorado facing off against each other. Still have to get there first, don't you? So how do we get there? Uh, Peter baugh got his thumb on the pulse. Peter Baugh's covered this team for a number of years, uh, written about the team in book form and digital form as well at The Athletic. Uh, he'll join me next to talk about what is on... Uh, The shopping list for the Avalanche this offseason. Certainly a second-line center uh, has to be in the offing here. And let's not forget, too, next year Nathan McKinnon cost you $12.6 million. And salary cap's not really going up. I'm sure they'd love to keep JT Comfer, but... Okay, so we'll get into the Colorado Avalanche situation here. Peter Baugh from The Athletic in Moments. Merrick Show continues across the SportsNet Radio Network simulcast on SportsNet 360 and SportsNet Now. Back in a moment.
2: Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with
0: Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the broadcast. If you heard me before the break, you heard me uh, opining for my uh, one of my hockey dreams for next year's season. And that is a playoff matchup between the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights... And the former stanley cup champion colorado avalanche here for a comment on that other avalanche issues uh is someone who covers a team on a regular basis for the athletic he is also the author of force of nature how the colorado avalanche built um a stanley cup winner he is peter baugh from the athletic and he joins me now peter how are you today
2: i'm well jeff how are you doing
1: Good are you willing to indulge my uh, my hockey wish of seeing Vegas face off against Colorado uh, next season like there's always a team that you want to beat along the way you know I've talked about the Washington Capitals when they won their Stanley Cup one of the important teams they had to beat along the way with the Pittsburgh Penguins just you know get that you know get that, the, the 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 fog away because there was always that hovering. Over the uh, the Washington Capitals, uh, I would just love to see you know two Stanley Cup champions facing off against one another. Um, we've seen Vegas beat Colorado before, but I've always maintained that you know getting there, you, you want to see the Avalanche beat the Vegas Golden Knights, or at least I do. How do you think Avalanche fans feel about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I personally, as someone who's around the Avalanche but a little more of a neutral party. I would, I would love it. I think it would be an awesome series. I think we've kind of been in some ways robbed of it the past two years. Vegas was, was really, really hurt in 2022. And then Colorado was really, really hurt this past postseason. Um, and so the stars just haven't aligned, but I thought that the series, um, the series a couple of years ago that, the that Vegas beat Colorado. And I think, kind of shook Colorado in some ways and and kind of helped propel them forward into the team that they eventually became the next year. So I think that kind of maybe a more Mm. mature version of the Avalanche playing a Vegas team that now has that championship shine, I think would be an awesome series. And I, I personally would be all for it.
1: What what did you make of and if you could sort of compare and contrast it to what we saw from Colorado what did you make of Vegas's run because listen I'll be honest with you after that after we saw that first game against the Florida Panthers where you know Vegas just dragged the Panthers into deep water quickly like really really quickly what did you make of it
2: Yeah I mean I think it you can definitely see some similarities number one being and I think this is the case with a lot of Cup winners. Is you have to get a little lucky with health. And Vegas was was healthy this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the playoffs, Mark Stone was back, um, and he was he was his normal self. Kind of like Landeskog was back last year for the Abs in 2022 when they um, when the playoffs came around, and he was back to his normal self and kind of drive them into the fight in a lot of ways. And I think what's interesting, what interests me, is kind of the trend of maybe. What we're seeing with goaltenders of the, over the last couple of years of Colorado, Darcy Kemper is obviously a, a good, good goalie, but he's not necessarily considered one of the elite goalies in the league. Aiden Hill certainly is not. Laurent Bressois is not. But I, I think what we're seeing is sometimes these teams, if you can get a goalie who's good enough at a reasonable price, you can build a really good team in front of them. And that's what Vegas did um, with all the pieces that they had. In front, of, in front of either Hill or Bressois, and that's what Colorado did a couple of years ago. You look at both of those corps were really deep. They kind of had all the things that you, that you check off in the boxes of, of what you need for a potential cup winner. And they had, I mean, Jack Eichel played like a, a number one center, and he I, I feel yeah. like during the past season was, was really good at points but maybe a little inconsistent, and he, but then he found his incons- he found his consistency at the most important time.
1: That first game, though, against Winnipeg, he was bluntly awful. Like, it was one of the <laughs> worst games I ever saw Jack Eichel play. And, you know, from Jack Eichel, game one against the Winnipeg Jets in the postseason to, uh, you know, game five against the Florida Panthers, it was night and day. I mean, the transition from, and again, like, you got to cut Eichel some slack here. Like, that was his first Stanley Cup, uh, his first well, his first playoff game ever uh, in, in the NHL. Can you think of an avalanche player? Who uh, who had because listen you've been there for a while who had a difficult transition into the playoffs? You know, much like Eichel. Ooh, that's a good question. It's kind of it's kind was of tough one?
2: because I don't yeah I don't know if there necessarily was at least of the the star level players. I I wasn't there when landis God got his feet wet and mckinnon and that that team probably should have done better against minnesota they lost in seven games when they were the number one yeah. seed in 2013 i think it was or 2014 um but i mean you kind of go down the line i mean kale mccard scored in his third ever playoff shift mckinnon in terms of like points per game is is up there with some of the best ever in terms of his playoff performance mm-hmm. so i don't i actually don't None comes to mind of, of needing to get their feet wet. I'm sure a lot of them did um, back when they, I guess, were first kind of making, making runs in the in the playoffs, or like the 2014 playoffs against Minnesota. I'm sure there were some growing pains for some of those guys. But um, they, they've kind of been, at least since I've been here, the, the big guys have been ready to go as soon as they've, they've kind of been in that situation.
1: Uh, let me ask you about a very small, although I looked at it one very specific way, trade that the Avalanche just made. And I, I wonder if I'm on base or off base about this one. The uh, Frederick Olafson deal with the Dallas Stars. I looked at that one, uh, Peter, and I said to myself, Nathan McKinnon's contract jumps to $12.6 million next season. The Avalanche need to have as many... Good like good hockey players on value contracts as possible am I reading that trade the right way?
2: I think you're reading it a hundred percent the right way. I think that Frederick Olson is a guy who who stepped in and played pretty well uh, when Jamie Ben got suspended in the playoffs doesn't have a ton of NHL experience, yeah. but he's really cheap. I think they have him for seven hundred seventy K or something next year um, and mm. I think you probably will see Colorado have a few of those guys come into camp who are maybe they're an AHL guys starting the AHL um, or maybe they're NHL guys. And you kind of have them fight for fourth line spots because they are going to need, they have a lot of money tied up into, uh, into McKinnon at twelve six, um, six, McCars at nine, Brantman's over nine, the um, choose six point one. 6.1. Like, like they've got some big contracts. Um, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it does mean you have to hit on some of your lower value contracts. So if they can have someone like Frederick um uh, come in and be a contributor and someone who could play on the fourth line or, yeah. or even the third line and, and bring, bring kind of what they need. Um, that's a huge boost. And he's, he's a hometown kid. Apparently he, I, I didn't realize this until after the trade, but he, he grew up, spent part of his childhood in Colorado. He's Swedish, but he, he spent part of his childhood in Colorado. So, mm. um, should be a fun, fun homecoming for him in some ways. And, um, I think it'll be, uh, an interesting, just an interesting, uh, pick up and we'll see if it, if it pays dividends. And if not, I think that you're right, that they're probably going to bring in some other guys on cheap contracts to see, see who can stick
1: yeah i don't I don't think that should surprise anybody I, I think one of the things that we're all sort of waiting for and and wondering about, and you'll have a better handle on it than I will uh being right there. do we have any idea what this what this next Bowen Byram contract is going to look like? It's got to be really, really tough to try to get to a number because let's face it the um, the hospital bracelet hasn't been his friend at times. Um, but, man, there are times, and you you see this when Kale McCarr is out and he's wheeling at the top on that power play, how good he looks. Um, there's already been a lot invested in Bowen Byram. What do you think a deal for him looks like next year?
2: I think it's that's going to be a really fascinating negotiation. I mean, this is a guy who, um, like you said, is excellent when he plays. He, he was amazing during their Stanley Cup run, led the entire— entire postseason and plus minus he's a really really good hockey player um and has kind of this charisma and confidence that is really infectious and that i think the the locker room like the guys really really like he uh but yeah the injuries make it tough i i did an article of of kind of some contract comparables um of who who maybe could you could look to in the past as as reference points and maybe you get someone like noah dobson who is uh, I think he was what three year a three year deal at four million, like kind of a bridge that that certainly gives him um, some money in the short term, but also lets him have another another chance to to kind of cash in before unrestricted free agency. I think maybe something like that could make mm-hmm. sense. But the thing with Bowen Byram is this is a guy who I think he knows how good he is, and I think it, there's something to be said for. Like he could probably get the Avs to agree to a long-term deal, uh, but if it's at an AAV that he doesn't feel is his worst, he's not gonna he's not gonna take that. And I think he has a a high, like he he knows how good he is, and I think he'll take that in a negotiation. And that's tough because the Avalanche also know how good he is, but they also know how how injury-prone he's been, and some of that is completely not his fault. I mean, it's all not his fault but like some of it is uh freak accidents and things that you would hope wouldn't consider but i think or wouldn't repeat but i think it's going to be a really i don't want to say difficult negotiation but i don't think it's going to be an easy one just because he's so good but he's also played fewer than 100 nhl games and that's a tough thing to kind of balance
1: Yeah, and and then you wonder what happens elsewhere on the blue line as well. We don't know what the decimal point is going to be for Bowen Byram. I'm with you. Like, when he plays, he's outstanding. And I think for the longest time now... We've wondered about just bluntly. We've wondered about the future of Samuel Girard, and I, Peter, I respect your time, uh, and I know you've heard this one a million different times. <laughs> but what's happening with Samuel Gerard here? I mean, listen, Kale McCarr is like you know the Connor McDavid of defensemen. We understand that, and Bo Byram's you know right there with him. He just looks like such a high-end blue liner. Devon Taves is you know one of the best values, although he's one year out from doing a deal, so maybe there's an extension. Uh, this off season for Chris McFarland and the and the uh, the, the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, but what happens to Samuel Girard here? Because it, it 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 kind of always seems like no matter which way we slice the Abs blue line, well, if they do this, then they can do this, and this happens over here. We keep coming back to what do they do with Samuel Girard? So Peter, what do they do with Samuel Girard?
2: My sense honestly, is that they are not in any way looking to trade him. Obviously, if, if a team throws an offer at them that's an incredible offer, they're going to do their due diligence and they're going to listen. But I don't think they're in a position where they're actively trying to trade Samuel Jarrett. At least that was my sense the last time I checked in on this. I think they view him as a top four defenseman who's on a reasonable contract. I think that uh, maybe this would be a little different if Landeskog wasn't out the whole year. But now that they know Lanneskog's situation, they've got some cap flexibility to add up front, um, and they maybe don't have to to kind of reduce salary in other areas. So I would guess, if you were to ask me what I would predict, is that opening night Samuel Girard is is playing for the Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, you can can never say never. Like, they could get an offer they really like, or they could reevaluate their kind of priorities and and view – needing to upgrade somewhere else and thinking they can get a little cheaper on the blue line or something. But I mean, if you look at, mm. if you look at the avalanche blue line, Kale McCarr is awesome, but he's generally missed a little bit of time every year to injury. Um, Bowen Byram's yeah. obviously played under a hundred career games. Josh Manson's coming off an injury plagued season. Um, Von Tades has been pretty durable, but like if even if Eric Johnson comes back, he's somebody who's dealt with injuries in the past. Samuel Gerrard, say what you will about him is availability is a big thing. And he plays a lot of games. And, um, I think that ha- having You're a guy, right. yeah, having a guy that you can pencil in to play 70 games every year, or 80 games every year, like, especially if he plays the way he did at the end of last season, which was at a pretty good level, that's a hard guy to get rid of, especially when you have him on a decent salary. Um, and when you have some cap flexibility with Landis going out. So I understand kind of the thought process of trading Gerard. I just think that the Avs, they really view the defense as kind of the motor of the team, and I think that they aren't going to move him unless they get an offer that they really like, and I don't think they're going to be making calls trying to throw him into deals.
1: Okay, so let me, um, let, let me see where I get with this one then. Uh, you and I both have uh, an admiration for JT Confer. Both think he's a, an excellent hockey player. Um, when you put together a hierarchy of things that Chris McFarland, the general manager, needs to do here in the offseason, what's, uh, what's the order? What's the order of things to do? I, th- I think a lot of us look at the abs and say, first order of business is get a second line center. Is that still true?
2: I would say yes, or you get maybe one or two top six-level wings and move Nico Ranton into center. But that obviously comes with some risk, considering how good he is on the wing, how well he plays with McKinnon. You don't really yeah. want to mess up what you have going there. Um, but, yeah, I think they need to figure out second-line center. I, I think that they kind of have to go in with a little more of of a plan than they did this past season. And there were a lot of things like that that, that weren't really in – their control last season, where Alex Newhook obviously was not ready for the two C role, but I still do kind of wonder how he would have looked if if he's playing with Gabriel Landeskog and Val Machushkin instead of and, and a more fully healthy team. Like what what would he have looked like? So, but I think they need to get another guy who they think can can play two C. Um, in comfort, I thought in the regular season did a very solid job in that role, but in the postseason, you saw. I think he had two points in seven games, zero at even strength, eventually got moved to the wing. And I think given this free agent class, I think he's going to make a lot of money because there are not a ton of guys out there who can do what he can do. The demand's going to be high, and I don't know if the Avalanche are going to be able to match the offers that he's going to be able to get. I think he's going to be really tough to keep because um, I think in an ideal world, in the halves mind, they see him as a, a third-liner, um, maybe someone who can fill in in the top six every once in a while, but I think they see him as a third-liner, and someone's going to be paying him. I mean, I think you look at Andrew Cops' contract last offseason. What did he get, 5 by 5.6, something in that yeah. range? His, his numbers and play style are – and actually – Alma mater, college, university uh, are very similar to JT Confer's. Like they're they're very similar players. So maybe Confer doesn't get quite that much. But if you're the ABS and even without Landis Guide's contract, are still kind of up against the cap. Can you give five million, five plus million to a guy who who you view more as a third liner? That's a bit of a tough situation. So I think they have to identify uh, uh, a potential two C. Um, Someone who can can slot in there. And I think that there's a decent chance that that's not JT Comfer um, because of the financial reasons and just what they saw in the postseason.
1: Okay, I've got 30 seconds and I know that's not enough time to ask you about Valerie Nichushkin, but here I go anyway. (laughs) Peter Baugh, 30 seconds how what's the very latest with Valery Nachushkin? Obviously, uh, he's good to go and the NHL's, you know, uh, uh, found nothing, uh, nothing untowards. We've seen the video. Everyone's heard all the whispers and everything, but what is the latest with Valery Nachushkin?
2: Yeah, I wrote a bit about this, I think a week or two ago, but he's, he's expected to be back in training camp. All sides are consistent on that. Um, there's no discipline. I think it'll be really interesting to kind of hear from him. Like the team's going to expect him to address the media, which he's not always um, because of the language barrier. He's not always the most comfortable with that, but uh, hopefully with either a translator, or if he's comfortable with it, he, they, the team intends for him to speak to the media at training camp. Um, And I'm, I'm curious kind of what, what, how, what the reception will be from his teammates, because I think that was a, certainly a blow to the avalanche it's hard to pin that Seattle series on one thing but I mean you lose a top six winger um and you you lose in seven games most of the losses by one goal like you kind of can point to like that that battered that that hurt the team and so he'll be there we'll keep kind of trying to figure out what we can about the situation but it's it's uh certainly a new thing, a new new thing to cover with the Avalanche for me, um, but yeah, definitely a lot of questions still remain. I think.
1: I always love it when you come on. Uh, really thorough, Peter. As well, uh, thanks as always for stopping by. Really much appreciated. Uh, enjoy your off season. Should be another intriguing one for the Avalanche. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, pal.
2: Sounds good. Well, I see you at the draft.
1: Yes, I'll see you in Nashville. Here we go. You and me. All right. Paint the town plaid. You and me. Thanks, pal. <laughs> there he is. Uh, thanks very much to, uh, to Peter Baugh from The Athletic for stopping by. Uh, thanks to Thomas Strands, Yarmo and Elliot Friedman. Back tomorrow.